I feel like as an as an adult grappling with the fact that my identity was kind of built, I guess, for myself on the idea that I was a I was a young filmmaker, I was a teen filmmaker. I'm def- I'm not a teenager any longer, and you know I'm trying to figure out well who am I as an as an adult? I and and I want to be a well rounded adult. I'll pick up things. I'll pick up knitting. I'll try to exercise. I mean, all these little things he does are. 100 those are true stories 100 based on true story trying an exercise tape failing throwing it down saying this never happened and <laughs> and these are you know just trying to figure out well what are all these little things that can make me the person i am as an adult because i i feel like i just i latched onto this identity i had as a filmmaker but i'm i'm not that so so who am i I, I would wear lots of free shirts that, that I would get from movie events to school. And I never knew when picture day was. So I was often wearing something unplanned for picture day. And in my seventh grade yearbook, I'm wearing a final destination two I think shirt that says nice. death may be closer than it appears. In my yearbook. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um, Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin and Dave. Hello. 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 This week, we are joined by a very special guest, Emily Higgins. Hello, Emily. Hi, thanks for having me. Emily wrote and directed the brand new Shudder original horror comedy titled Sorry About the Demon. This is a story of a young man with a broken heart who rents what, uh, unbeknownst to him, is a haunted house and ends up struggling with demons both within and without. Emily also wrote and directed the 2017 Netflix original Coin Heist, as well as the cold open segment of Scare Package, which we talked about on the show not long ago. Uh, also an episode of the VHS miniseries titled First Kiss, and the uh, feature films Grow Up, Tony Phillips, My Sucky Teenage Romance, Pathogen, and more. Emily, having made a number of feature films and shorts and done some acting, what was it about Sorry About the Demon that made it now? Why now? And where did this idea come from? Yeah, I, um, you know, I originally uh, wrote the script a few years ago, uh, pre-COVID. And the kind of idea was, what if there was somebody who was going through a breakup and they were just kind of too sad to leave their haunted house? So it was kind of like a breakup <laughs> comedy set in the haunted house world and kind of using the metaphors of the haunted house and ghosts and demons for those types of, you know, relationship ghosts and demons, you know, that was kind of the the genesis of the idea. And then during COVID, I think there were a lot of things that kind of happened, like, you know, people were kind of stuck at home and they were baking and there there were just like things that were kind of in the script already that I think resonated with uh, the producers that had read it and wanted to make the film. So it just kind of landed perfectly. It's interesting you brought up Cold Open and Scare Package because um, at that moment in time, I thought we were going to make Sorry About the Demon. So I said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't participate in Scare Package. I'm making this other movie that d- that didn't end up happening. I got to make Scare Package and then worked with the same folks again on, on this. And so it kind of shows how things are maybe not meant to be in one time and then they become meant to be at another time. And it was it was really, I'm glad it worked out the way it did with the right people. Yeah, we just we had Aaron B. Koontz uh, on the show. What's it like working with him now that you've done a couple projects? Because, I mean, he was a great guest, but, you know, you never know what it's like to, you know, work with somebody on multiple projects. Yeah, um, I'll give you all the juice. No, okay. <laughs> like, what, what do people say? The tea? I don't know. Uh, no, no, he's great. <laughs> uh, 
yeah no he's he's awesome very collaborative he has a kind of director's mind so he's great to work with um you know when you're trying to creatively you know get to the, the bottom of things and uh as a you know on the producing side you know just really good at getting getting the movies done he's, i don't know he's great it was cool uh to to kind of jump from scare package and start about the demon and and continue on kind of with those relationships in place because you're not kind of starting from scratch but as you do with a lot of film projects with your with your team where you're like all right let's like figure out how we're gonna work together and who you know what that relationship will be it was nice to have already worked with paper street and aaron and then john michael plays the lead in our film he was the lead in our scare package segment as well so we had all these like you know we had some some uh, laid some groundwork on that those creative relationships ahead of time that i think made things move smoother and you know you have the mess on on set we shot this in 2021 so you know people already so you you know you might not see some of their face but you know you already you already know who they are that's <laughs> so also nice i feel like the pandemic was the the test of who could make good movies with minimal casts uh, set in one location. So good job on that. I noticed uh, in Sorry About the Demon and my sucky teen romance and a lot of things you did, there are always these amazing indie folk and indie rock songs, uh, kind of reminiscent of like Juno or to me like 2000s uh, indie rock, which I really love. Is this something that you curate? Are these friends of yours? How do you do uh, the music, uh, the songs, which are great in their own right, but also the score and all that? Yeah, it's, um, thank you for asking that because I do collaborate. I've collaborated with somebody on original songs for all my movies since um, middle school or high school. And he wrote the end credit song, Sorry About the Demon. And he's he's in my sucky teen romance as well, but he wrote the original song for that. And he wrote all the songs in one of my films called Grow Up Tony Phillips. I just think he's such an amazing artist. And it, it's just been like a, just an amazing gift to have this lifelong collaborator. My friend Santi, he goes by Daphne Tunes on like Apple and iTunes, whatever, uh, Spotify and so on. <laughs> you can find him as Daphne Tunes. And, um, and it's just, he's, he's been excellent to work with. A lot of the songs I, I do like to have a hand in. I, I love the rhythm of dialogue, like in comedy dialogue, and I love the rhythm of editing. And so that kind of translates into loving the rhythm of picking out these songs and then the music and how that ties in to to the tone of the movie. I feel like a, there could be a very different type of soundtrack and it, it would portray a, a different vibe to you, <laughs> I think. Right. Um, so these are all very just different elements of like kind of the rhythm of the story and the characters that I really like to um, be thinking about. And I think me and Santi are very, um, have a really good relationship with what that sounds like and, and musically. So I'm, I feel very lucky that he'll still do things on my independent films, <laughs> you know, musically <laughs> all these years later. Well, we talked about working with Aaron B. Coons and Paper Street Pictures. I was wondering, how did it? How did you come to work with Blood Oath and Paper Street Pictures to begin with? Where Where did that connection start? Yeah, uh, just kind of through some filmmaker friends in in the Austin film scene. I think we just met through friends, and um, <laughs> I wish I had a really cool story. Um, I do remember being at an Oscar party and Aaron saying, "I read story about the demon. Like, let's make that movie." And I was eating a lot of Girl Scout cookies. I don't know. That's, not, that's how I remember this movie <laughs> happening. Um, and I, you know, at that time, you're always thinking, well, we'll see if that actually happens. And a couple months later, it was it was happening. So it was, that was kind of mid-2020, I would say. Well, if I had if I had any bone to pick with Aaron now, and I, I did ask him this on our episode, but I might not have been as specific, but 
in Scare Package 2, we get a sequel to The Night He Came Back Again. So, you know, we get a sequel to an anthology. I wanted a sequel to Cold Open. But All right. I'm, 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 I'm going <laughs> to let him off the hook because he let you make Sorry About the Demon. And I did get more John Michael Simpson, which I was dying for. I love him in Cold Open. And I absolutely love him in this. And I know, you know, if you look at it, he has so many credits and he typically comes up as a producer. How did it come to be that you were the director that was like, dude, I need you in front of the camera? Because I think that you're going to find that audiences want that guy in front of the camera a lot more. <laughs> he's he's amazing. Um, I think he I, I think he acting kind of comes first for him. And then producing is a, is a skill he has that he is like to, you know, he, he likes to work behind the camera, but I think if he got to choose, he would be in front of the camera. And I think he should be. Um, and I, I worked with him on this uh, prom coming of age TV, sh not TV show, like a digital series. And he played a very serious role. And then shortly after we filmed that, he um, I went to like, one of his improv shows and he is in an improv tro troupe with Jeff McQuitty, who plays his best friend and sorry about the demon. I'm like gesturing to your TV back there because I can see it's on. Um, and uh, right <laughs> so he and Jeff are in an improv troupe. And so I got to see his comedy and, and I was like, we got to write something comedic for him. And so when uh, the opportunity to do Scare Package came along, I wrote the character and thought, wrote it for John Michael and his sensibilities comedically because I just had no idea he could do this. And then I said it as if I didn't think he was funny at all in person, but he's good at being like in the moment, very professional on set, you know, took the, the role very seriously when we were making the serious show. So it, he's a very funny, you know, likable person, but I didn't know he had this whole comedic skill set to his acting. And so, um, and so we wrote the part in, in Scare Package for him. And then Aaron, uh, I really liked it. They kind of ran with his character a little bit, had him come back a few times through the first Scare Package movie. So it was cool to see how they kind of took that and continued that on. That's a great thing about anthologies. And then that kind of became, you know, when Sorry About the Demon uh, came to be, it became... Uh, Sorry, something happened in the room. <laughs> uh, Are you hunting? Live recording. <laughs> yeah, <I'm not. laughs> I just heard something. <laughs> no, um, there's somebody else in the room <laughs> right now. You're really jumpy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let me know if you see anything hostile behind my yes. Zoom. But uh, when Sorry About the Demon became you know, something we were doing, John Michael felt like the natural lead for that movie because of how this was going to be a kind of a continuation of what we started with scare package uh thematically you know and just kind of with that same team put together so it just became this great um and i and i always hoped he would be in the movie as well but you just never know how things are going to shape up so it it worked out really nicely um and i hope he gets a million movies I, everyone casts him he's just yes. so wonderful <laughs> i love the um practical use of having to coexist with a malignant force or whatever, because I think there are a lot of things in our lives that uh, we just kind of put up with. And I feel like in real life, that might be more realistic as to the way someone, especially like a bachelor like him would deal with a, a demon infestation, but all the way back to pathogen, you've had a, a lot of people that have kind of come up with you and have careers in their own right. Uh, Cargill, went from a film critic to writing uh, Sinister and Tony Vespi is always in your movies. And, and I've become a big fan of Tiger Darrow's music uh, that I checked out, great. but all these people that uh, you guys were very young, especially you, uh, but most of the cast and 
I was just wondering if this was people that, you know, you surrounded yourselves, there must have been some sort of like creative, inspirational, like contagion, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Uh, did you find that with you guys coming up, making these things, you made a movie, this is possible. Do you think that that kind of uh, spread around everyone that this is something that's possible for me to do? Uh, that's a cool idea because I, I feel very inspired by my creative friends and uh, acquaintances. <laughs> it's it's a it's a great thing about you know because filmmaking I think can feel kind of solitary and lonely. So when you are able to find inspiration in, in other people you know and 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 kind of keep each other motivated and uh, it's it's a very kind of magical thing about filmmaking is that it can feel solitary but it's also very much a collaborative effort and and it's also even when you're not involved in someone else's work I'm not involved in Tiger's uh, music but I like to listen to it too and it's very inspiring to see what she's up to these days and and Cargill of course is really uh, killing it out you know making great big movies <laughs> black phone uh, black great film uh and um it's very impressive and i, I remember him telling me <laughs> the premise of sinister when i was a teenager i was like that sounds scary um and so really cool uh to see and then to, and tony and uh, still to collaborate with him we were making a film in 2012 and uh we were talking about the tv show gargoyles and he did the gargoyles um like opening narration he's like, oh gargoyles great show and he's doing the like in an age of gargoyle or whatever he's saying but he did this kind of crazy voice to imitate the opening of the show and it really stuck with me it was so funny and so scary <laughs> and then uh when i wrote sorry about the demon i just thought tony has to do this voice <laughs> as that gargoyles imitation and so luckily you know working with paper street great collaborators and, and shutter they very receptive to when i said because we had these really great performances from the actors on set and they did these voices and i was trying to say um you know don't strain your voice because we are probably going to dub you with this gargoyle imitator guy <laughs> <laughs> um they uh i'm so glad they let me do it and we brought tony in he you know replaced everyone's voices and united them with his diominous uh demon uh kind of personality so he's never on screen but he he unites all the performances vocally and man that guy i wish y'all could see he can nail he kind of gets the hang of someone's mouth movements in a, in a take and then he could just nail every line within one one or two takes he's like oh, I, I got it now and he can just roll through the whole film and it took about a day to do <laughs> it's a lot of lines and some of them we we changed once you know if they were off screen and stuff and um yeah, he just he did a really great job. I hope he does more voice work because I, I didn't know. I mean, I've, I've known this guy most of my life and I didn't know what a great voice actor he was. He also does some of the like ghost voices and kind of anytime there's a disembodied voice in the movie, it's probably Tony. Oh, amazing. Well, it's, it's hilarious, too, because if you look him up on IMDb, you would not expect the photo of that person to have <laughs> any types of those voices coming out of him. <laughs> You gotta see him do it in person. It's so funny. The voice is barely affected in in post production. Is basically wow. what he does with his mouth. It's kind of unreal. He tried to drink a lot of milkshakes to create the voice, and he realized he would just die if he drank that many milkshakes. So he did. It was a lot of soda, though, which I also don't really know how he could do that much soda. But well, you've got in in sorry about the demon. 
You've got ghosts, demons, hauntings, possessions, exorcisms, Ouija boards, d- demonic green slime. You've got a, a portal to hell in the basement. You've got all of these sort of long-running horror traditions. And I, I made me wonder what your history in horror is, because this isn't your first horror movie. Obviously, you've made a bunch, um, including the shorts. Um, you've, you've been in the horror milieu. Um, and I, I was curious about how that started for you. I feel like everybody has at some point in their life where they discovered horror and what was that for you? Yeah, I am fascinated by these stories as well because it is like a very different entry point for different people. And I feel like for me, I was, I was very scared of, of everything <laughs> that's ever existed. I was scared of Halloween. I was scared of Chuck E. Cheese, just like anything that was just frightening <laughs> in my mind. And, uh, and then I saw a horror comedy movie called undead from Australia. And I, it was, um, coincidentally released on Shutter the same month as Sorry About the Demon. So I, I found that very cool to, that this movie inspired me to make horror movies and horror comedy specifically because there was something about the communal experience of people laughing and having fun and the movie has these very kind of ridiculous, <laughs> I don't know, elements to it, but they're very fun and uh, it's it really inspired me to dive deeper into the horror genre and wanting to make these types of movies. And uh, at the time I was growing up, there weren't a lot of summer camps and things for kids. So I ended up working on sets and working on sets that had a genre component. So I was starting to gain an interest in watching horror movies and I was making fake blood and guts for these independent films. <laughs> and uh, so I kind of was accumulating some some knowledge and I thought, well, if you want to do this, you you have to kind of just jump in and that's how you learn. And um, I, I really, you know, even to this day, I love learning there's always so much to learn and I thought horror specifically you can just study one subgenre so you know deeply and and kind of never stop learning about it and and so I started with zombies and I just loved I loved Night of the Living Dead and and Undead was a zombie movie so that got me into it uh I loved how different zombie looks kind of com- communicate different ideas and and different zombie speeds I was I was just very into learning more and more about the zombies and so my first film was a zombie movie and I made it when I was uh, a child. <laughs> I was 12. <laughs> it's a feature film. And and I kind of learned by doing and, and it's, you know, full of mistakes. I didn't have a lot of money or resources, just kind of passion and passionate kids around around me and, and, and adults that were very patient. <laughs> and uh, the experiences were chronicled in a, in a documentary called Zombie Girls, the movie. And both of the and I did not make the documentary <laughs> myself, um, but uh, the my film and Zombie Girl are both um, a pathogen got a release by the American Genre Film Archive, uh, AGFA. They just put it on Blu-ray last year, which I was very honored by because it's a movie made by a kid. <laughs> but they were very respectful of the efforts that went into it, and um, it was it was just a really you know is a really cool thing that they. They, they like it for what it is and they weren't, you know, releasing it to make, make fun of it. So I'm very, very honored by that. <laughs> we've, we've, we have watched a, a, a shot on video horror movies made by adults and that pathogen is, is up there with most of those. So you know, <laughs> no question. Well, you know, lots of, lots of learning <laughs> going into that. And then also very recently having to rediscover how to find hard drives with high eight tapes, you know, footage on them and, <laughs> Well, how many plugs can plug into one thing on today's computers? So, yeah. uh, but it's very, very cool. It's, it's out there uh, in in the world, and it's interesting also that I, I watched it again 
recently because we did a commentary and stuff. And there were things that I kind of learned from picking up from watching movies at, at that age, which is kind of off instinct and, um, and just from being a film fan that as I became more of a filmmaker and identified as a filmmaker, I had to kind of learn these things later. <laughs> so there were just certain things that, that were intuitive that I had to kind of put into more, put into words and, and, and understand why they work that way. Um, and so it was interesting to see like kind of the childlike sense of wonder of just wanting to make a movie and the excitement around that and what was accomplished just based off that versus what I learned as I, as I actually grew up. I should probably, I don't know if I've ever admitted this on the show or if Trent and Dave even know, but um, my, my second favorite film genre other than horror, which is way up there is actually rom-coms. Um, oh, so wow. <laughs> uh, I could go from watching, you know, the most brutal horror movie to watching 27 dresses or forgetting Sarah Marshall. Two of and my all time favorite movies, yeah. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. So I'm just wondering, Trent just talked about like all the different layers uh, and horror tropes that you threw in there, too. But you you walk this like really fine line with like the charming with like the rom-com element. And one of my favorite things about Sorry About the Demon is, you know, we get the opening where poor John Michael or Will gets dumped. And then he kind of goes through like this very like solo and lonely um, discovering like what you would do, you know, if you were baking cakes and demons were stealing your T-shirts and all this. And then you get to like the whole third act where we get the love interest come back in. Uh, and I did want to ask you like, what of the like rom-com and some of those movies that you were pulling from to get, you know, for Will? And I had never heard of Paige Evans, who plays Amy, who is the lo love interest, but she does a fantastic job as well. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, the Well, <laughs> Forgetting Sarah Marshall was very much a part of the the idea, you know, before even with a script was like, what if Forgetting Sarah Marshall was a horror movie? <laughs> a little bit of <laughs> nice. the idea. And then, um, so that was a huge influence. I feel like everything I do is a little bit influenced by my all-time favorites, Valley Girl with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, wow. That's a big fan of that. I mean, just like these elements of, of um, I'm trying to think of some other things specifically. I mean, we really, and even Shaun of the Dead, when you like are just looking at it for the relationships, has these really strong characters and relationships in it um and that's like definitely like the gold standard for horror comedy um specifically but um i i, I think that um yeah I, I it was a blend of like well what if we took some elements of evil dead and then some elements of you know jason siegel crying you know and see what that blends together <laughs> and um one thing i worked with john michael on was to make sure that the character didn't feel like like a man child and some people might still see it because he is a little emotionally immature at times but uh, we really wanted him to feel like somebody that had a place to grow and needed to learn some things because when you're in your 20s, one thing I've, I've found was that you're, you really feel like you're still growing. You don't really feel like you've reached adulthood yet, but you're not physically growing anymore. You look like just like all the other adults, but you're like, am I one yet? I don't know. So we really wanted to make sure that he felt like somebody that could still be um you know, worthy of the relationships in his life if he could just grow there and not somebody that you're just saying, I don't, you know, I don't want to hang out with this guy. Why would anyone hang out with this guy? And that was something that we looked to a lot of romantic comedies for, like character-wise, you know, hopefully. And I think John Michael's so charismatic that it, it helps, you know. He's not just whining and kicking and screaming. But there is an aspect to the character that has these, these blinders on to the ghosts in his house, and that's kind of also 
supposed to be a metaphor to only seeing what you want to see because you know you're you need to learn <laughs> you need to grow a little bit it's funny that you mentioned that was it Jeff McQuitty that plays Patrick and he yeah. and John Michael do improv together I love the entire sequence where John Michael you know he finally gets out of the house and then you know it's to go bug Amy uh, that's hilarious. And then Patrick finally gets in touch with him and they have this entire sequence at the bar where Patrick is trying to set him up with another Amy, albeit with two E's instead of just A-M-Y. And he's the big adult. He's so responsible. And he thinks that John Michael's making an ass out of himself. And then all of a sudden, Amy discovers his house is haunted and she's like way into it. And like that guy's reaction being like, you've got to be kidding me. And then the entire sequence when they go back to to John Michael's house is just I love it. I love it. And and honestly, a lot of the comedy is filled in with pretty legit scares. Like there are some legit scares in this movie and that you, you, t- you talked about the score, but also his last name's O, I think, um, the cinematographer. This movie is shot very, very well. It's very well edited. So yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just heaping praise. I'll say, I'll just to give credit to those people. I know we talked about the indie rock soundtracks, but the composer also worked with on this film. I also worked with on Coin Heist, my little VHS short that was made for Snapchat. Uh, we worked together on the last several projects. Um, he's, a, he's a really great composer. And really, we were looking at things like it was interesting because we really I know you mentioned Eric, Eric O, our cinematographer. Amazing. Michaela Bowden. She's um, Swedish. I know I'm not saying her name right. Um, but Mick, she likes to go by Mick. Uh, she's incredible and really, really put, took the characters and um, crafted these amazing performances um, at, at, and, and you know, the core and the comedy and was wonderful to work with. And in the age of COVID and also she was in Canada, <laughs> I was in the US, uh, we, we edited over Zoom, which is very challenging. But when once you get on the same wavelength, it, it can be done. <laughs> so it was a very interesting, different editing experience. I felt so lucky to work with Eric, the DP and Mick, the editor. And but I did want to touch on the soundtrack because I feel very bad for leaving out this collaborator I've had for <laughs> six years when we talked about the music. Um, he's he's amazing. His name's Jeremy, uh, Jeremy William Smith. And um, when we looked at the the soundtrack, we were temp- temping the movie. We were temping with a lot of horror soundtrack and it was really detracting from the comedy. It just like the movie felt way off balance. And these comedic moments almost looked like just bad acting because the score was so melodramatic and we couldn't really figure it out. And, so, and it really became an issue of the score. And the movie is basically wall to wall score um, of looking. And we, we ended, we ended up finding some very interesting, it was more like kind of that Tim Burton style inspiration or like even um, Adam's family or Beetlejuice. I don't know, like these types of like almost dark, darker family films where we ended up finding the inspiration for for some of the score and then he really runs with these these really cool themes as well like the will and amy theme and and stuff like that just a very very thoughtful composer and um just wanted to i i would really i could tell you a lot about every single person on the film because it's a very thoughtful <laughs> team and one thing i do want to say also about the team is a production designer the whole set was built in the atrium of a hotel so there's nothing aside from the exterior wow. of the house that was real. No kidding. <laughs> and wow. um, it was it was part of the COVID filming experience because we all stayed in the hotel. It was right outside the Toronto area. And in the middle of the atrium was the whole set. <laughs> all this all the each floor of the house was a set. 
And then, you know, anything outside of that, you know, we'd shoot somewhere else in the hotel. And um, I think like there's a scene where they're watching, he's watching TV and there's some characters on a TV show Mm -hmm. and they they kind of get possessed. And that's just filmed in the, like the uh, hotel kitchen. (laughs) Like we just put some lockers in there. Like these very, these very odd little set builds, but the production designer did this amazing job where hopefully, you know, the viewer doesn't get lost in the, geography it all kind of sticks together but those stairs he walks up there's nothing up there <laughs> just ends and wow. kind of creative solutions to stuff like that to orient the viewer and we had a just really amazing art team that achieved that wow yeah it fooled me yep yeah. oh yeah. good you never know <laughs> excellent um I, I liked how kevin uh confesses to um in liking rom-coms as id2 but Kevin's Zoom background here looks like uh, H&M All Night Sale. I'm kind of like it's shrouded in the darkness. Trent has the human centipede behind him. Uh, oh, my God. always a pleasant thing to look at. But, Too um, much? I don't know. I didn't know that. <laughs> you started horror um, at a very young age. And uh, we just spoke with Justin Seaman, who did The Barn and The Barn 2, which was originally conceived when he was eight years old. Uh, and also, if you read about Skinnamarink, that's like a childhood, you know, nightmare. And you've always worked within uh, almost like this, you know, this childlike innocence, this lighthearted. You know, there's a comedy aspect uh, that lightens it up a little bit. Do you think you'll ever, you know, go and scare yourself? Do you think you'll do something so dark that there's none of there's none of the safety net for your own? Thing. Uh, you know, you keep looking over your shoulder every time you hear a noise. Uh, yeah. You seem easily scared. Um, would you ever, do you think you'd make something that is really scary to you? Like it would scare your 13 year old self. Oh, yeah. I love that within this time of meeting, I'm given the impression of easily scared. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I do. I mean, that's kind of why I love horror movies is I, I do like to be scared, but I, I don't like to I, I don't like to be a horror viewer that's like, oh, you can't scare me, you know, because I'm like, well, it's fun to be scared. But I also don't really like, you know, those haunted like the real life, not not real real life, but like those ones where there's like people in costume and you pay $50 or whatever and go, All right. I can't can't do those. Um, absolutely will not. I will die. I will not come out of the house. Can't do it. So th- I do have a threshold for what uh, I, I feel like I can I can tolerate, but I still, you know, love love the genre. And I think that I would I would love to do something that that is really scary. The project I'm trying to do next is is a little bit more straight horror than it has some comedic lightheartedness, as you pointed out. Um, I just feel like I really gravitate towards just really liking the characters in these movies and wanting to, to show likable horror movie characters. But I do want to go deeper into the genre um, uh, a little bit more with, with some more scares. And, and uh, so hopefully I get to do that. I would love to do that. And I, I also feel like I'm really open to the idea of working with someone else's material because it might push me a little bit more <laughs> to write something or to, to work with something scarier. I didn't know if it was like a spoonful of sugar to make it go down easier, uh, you know, because I, I do like how stylistically you've kept that throughout everything you've done. And it's kind of like your your trademark uh, on, you know, the, the kind of horror, horror movies you make. Or you could just go full 27 dresses and I'd, I'd be behind that as well. <laughs> It could, it could back to back movies. I, I mean, I'd love to paint my nails pink and watch, you know, just 
horror movies watch shutter you know like it's i i like to do both it's it's um i think it is that kind of like that sweet and salty whatever it is like that combination that just like works well together and i think it's just for me i just i i do feel a strong motivation to always just have characters that i feel like are parts of me to, to have something to say that feels personal and and i love horror so i feel like it's just an opportunity to to combine those things even below the the quote unquote scares and the and the horror traditions that are in there there's something you mentioned uh, the, the character will and and trying not to make him too much of a of a man baby that w- would not be as sympathetic or that might turn people off that's kind of scary in itself and and i loved when i was watching it probably the most relatable moment for me as a, a grown man who uh, hosts a horror movie podcast <laughs> uh, there's, there's a moment where uh where will has decided that the solution to this problem is that he's just gonna uh live with the demon in the in house by himself and he's uh, not gonna hurt it. he's gonna make sure that the demon doesn't hurt anyone else he's just going to live there alone with it and and take care of it and everything else will be fine because the demon doesn't want him. And I was like, man, that sounds like a good plan. You know, that's, (laughs) that's a good plan for uh, a baby man to, to do. I, I, that would be my plan. I think if, if I were him, but it's, it struck me seriously as kind of an insightful thing to, to have a character be thinking. And I wondered like how much of the, how much of what goes on with all the characters in this movie are you are you drawing from your own experiences and how much are you just drawing from your imagination yeah i mean there wasn't like a like a, like a breakup inspiration for the there's movie, no x-will but... in real life yeah <laughs> oh no, no no yeah i feel like as an as an adult grappling with the fact that my identity was kind of built I guess for myself on the idea that I was a I was a young filmmaker I was a teen filmmaker I'm def- I'm not a teenager any longer and you know I'm trying to figure out well who am I as an as an adult I and and I want to be a well-rounded adult I'll pick up things I'll pick up knitting I'll try to exercise I mean all these little things he does are 100 those are true stories 100 based on true story trying an exercise tape, failing, throwing it down, saying this never happened. And, <laughs> and these are, you know, just trying to figure out, well, what are all these little things that can make me the person I am as an adult? Cause I, I feel like I just, I latched onto this identity I had um, as a filmmaker, but I'm, I'm not that. So, so who am I? And a lot of those struggles that he goes through and kind of what he's oblivious to, or, you know, what he decides, you know, his, his fate might be or, or you know, things that I, I find very personal and also, you know, connecting with the performers on like what feels personal to you, what scares you both, you know, in, in the horror world, you know, we did some takes where maybe they didn't know when someone was going to jump out, to, you know, just get some up. I mean, they know, nice. they know they were in on it. <laughs> um, but, you know, not just trying to what scares you with horror, but what scares you as a person and how can we kind of inject that into the character you're playing? so that it feels genuine because a lot of this is about, you know, the external and the internal. So definitely personal for me, but also trying to, to find that with the actors as well. I love that idea that, that comes from that of the idea that, a, a, that demons can be exercised, but ghosts just kind of have to be managed and, and lived with. <laughs> and so, you, you know, you, you're always going to have those ghosts, but if you exercise the demon, then you can, you know, move forward like you're like you say. 
yeah, there's some, you know, you can't get rid of all your problems. <laughs> um, but uh, you have to live with some. And um, I, just trying to find a yeah fun way to kind of tackle those ideas of what, you know, it's, is it, you know, <laughs> the demon that's rejecting Will or does Will reject himself, you know, and, and just kind of uh, just playing with that. And, and um, yeah, just the little, little metaphors <laughs> throughout the story. Your ta- the tagline should have been, you can exercise your demons, you can live with your ghosts, but you'll never get your t-shirt back. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I got lots of dumb shirts, <laughs> also based on a true story. Um, that was I, the moment I, I, I knew they were going to coexist, is when he start, started wearing the t-shirt like the roommate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, like a roommate. Like That's perfect. This is like a side note story, but um, but just speaking of dumb shirts, uh, I don't even know why I'm telling this. I, I would wear lots of free shirts that, that I would get from movie events to school, and I never knew when picture day was, so I was often wearing something unplanned for picture day. And in my seventh grade yearbook, I'm wearing uh, a Final Destination 2, I think, shirt that says, nice. Death May be closer than it appears in my yearbook. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um, so just a taste of like just where how some of these these um like long stories end up in the movies. That's great. That's where you should have had the ultimate comedy callback, and that also should have been your senior quote in your final uh, high school yearbook. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what my quote was. I see. I remember the the shirt, but not the quote. <laughs> but yeah. I'm the same way. I don't care uh, if, if I like your it? band or not, but if your band has a cool T-shirt or a hat, I'll wear it. Absolutely. And people go, oh, is that uh, some band? Oh, I don't know. I, I like the shirt. That's Free <laughs> yeah. is free. Uh, I have a lot of clothes from this movie. I just, that's how I get my, my wardrobe now. Now that I don't get right. free shirts from movie events, it's all <laughs> the film sets. We'll send you a speak all evil shirt. Yeah, I will wear. I will wear it. I'll wear it in a photo. You'll find it. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Okay. Deal. Done. <laughs> My last question is: um, it's probably the weirdest one, but I've been communicating with Emily for a couple weeks now. I've also been communicating with another um, filmmaker named Jen Wexler, and between the two, I've been dealing with uh, handles that are uh, cheesy nuggets um, and bubblegum and blood. And then when I started Pathogen on Tubi, I noticed that like, boom, cheesy nuggets come up. So you've had this since you were 12 and you've kept, where the hell did this come from? I wish I had a great story for this. I just thought it was so funny when I was a kid. I was just like, this sounds hilarious. When you Google it though, it's some kind of weed snack. Weed and oh, snack. I'm, by now know. I'm sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> it is not something I, I know of <laughs> besides what you've, you know, what shows up on Google, but, uh, yeah, it just, it's, I think part of it's kind of growing up and that is part of my identity and I, I never wanted to get rid of it. It's like what's registered at the bank and everything and go to the bank, bam, cheesy nuggets, you know? So it's, it just feels part of it. And, and, you know, I think the movies, I like a little bit of, of cheesiness in the movies and, and I yep. think it's, it still maintains, you know, if I start making really, really serious, uh, you know, a 24 movies, maybe I'll reevaluate. But. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say something like, when I was a kid, the only thing I would eat are chicken nuggets doused in cheese. And I would have been like, I would have been down with that. <laughs> I was a vegetarian uh, as a kid. And then, um, and and that used to be kind of like a weird thing about making horror movies. Like, How, you don't eat meat? And then I wasn't getting enough nutrients and stopping a vegetarian. But um, my, my production uh, LLC is red mustard. 
Uh, so it's, it goes it. very well with cheesy nuggets. Um, we'll make a themed meal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> For me, uh, the scariest, most suspenseful parts of Sorry About the Demon were the kind of claustrophobic, uh, strange house exploration, which reminded me strangely uh, of Barbarian. Uh, from last year and i thought you know 2022 was a great year for horror we we're talking about black phone what was your favorite or up there in your top three for movies of 2022 i i might think of something later but the first thing that popped in my head was nope that's that's horror right i, I mean, yeah, I mean yeah. it was just maybe my favorite uh overall um but I mean, so many great movies last year. It's really hard to, and just unique movies, unique visions uh, that you just didn't know, like the movies you mentioned, just like you just didn't know where they were going. And uh, I'm excited to see <laughs> what's coming out this year. So early. Yeah, I feel like and- I feel like horror is uh, evolving a little bit. Like post pandemic, horror movies have really uh, raised the bar. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, kind of reading about just how horror movies can be influenced by by the world and, and how it kind of creates different waves of, of, of ideas and stuff. But I feel like right now, I don't feel like we're getting a ton of like COVID themed movies or anything, but it's, it is, I mean, there are a few, but it, it is like a, an interesting, I feel like people are exploring a very wide range of, of fears and ideas and, and um, just, very I, I think it's it's a really interesting time for horror that isn't just pandemic themed just i think people have been along with their thoughts and maybe they found some interesting yeah that's too yeah i think yeah. that's part of this the resurgence where people are back out in in many also, cases now also writers having that much time uh isolated where they don't have to do whatever drags you away from your writing you always see people that are trying to hunker down and write something that was the the prime time to do that. So I feel like a lot of the writers out there really, um, you know, thrived in that time where it was just them and the four walls of their, their room. That's a great point. I, I bet that that did factor in for a lot of people. I wasn't writing a bunch of screenplays. I wish I was. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, I just wanted to ask you about a couple of the props that I, I noticed in, sorry about the demon one, the little miniature horse, plays a role in the movie there's also that little miniature horse in the cold open of scare package i wondered if if there was a, a story or a meaning behind the little horse there <laughs> that's the great no one's, no one's ever noticed that um really yeah, uh that's interesting um well i wrote sorry about the demon before cold open but right. we, they have different production designers uh, i think that the production designer of cold open just had just brought, brought it I, just coincidence I, I, I think so, but oh, okay. that'd be so that'd be so cool. Um, okay. Oh well. Sec- secondly, I was I was wondering, and maybe this is coincidence too. But sorry about the demon takes place in the present day, as far as I, in my mind, right? Um, but I noticed the one that the television is very, very, very old, almost like you would see in a in, in a, an old horror movie where they're watching something a gigantic floor, you know, television that sits on the floor, and then the Walkman was the cassette Walkman. So I, it seemed like those were, I was looking for other things and and, and maybe I've forgotten, but I was wondering why those reminded me of something like um, It Follows, which we reference all the time, but why those those out of time items? I love that you used the term out of time because that's something I strive for on all my projects. And 
if there's a cell phone in a movie, it's probably because someone made me put it in. Um, I think just growing up with the technology, I just don't like to see it on screen. I think it, it can be very dated or it could be a crutch. I don't think I always need to see characters texting before they hang out. You know, you don't see people always like making lunch or uh, taking a shower or going to bed. You don't see all these things all the time. So I, I would rather as a viewer, I'd rather not see them when I was um, a teenager and, and making movies. I just really didn't like what was being marketed to me it was so tech heavy. And when I felt like the movies I liked the most that I related to the most were from different eras and I didn't feel like I related to them any less. And I always use Stranger Things as a, as a huge example for, t- for teens today. And they're like more technology addicted than ever, but they love Stranger Things. So like it's, you don't need the characters to have cell phones all the time to relate to young people. We, we relate on other types of issues. And so it's just been kind of a, a passion from growing up with technology and then not wanting to see, just wanting to prove you don't always need to see it. It's interesting you noticed it because a lot of times people don't notice <laughs> it's not in there. But I do think it is, I, I find the TV and I love the TV. I picked the TV. They showed me a bunch of TV oh, yeah. and said that one, you know, <laughs> nice. and, um, and, you know, I picked it and everything, but I, you know, I find it like, this is, this looks weird for this time, you know, for it being a modern film, but it was part of the choice of keep it out of time. Um, he does get uh, a message from Amy and it's a text message and, and it wasn't a note on the script. He, they didn't think um, that she would call him because their relationship is in a weird place. And I agreed with that. And so I thought, well, what's a way you could show a text message without seeing it on screen or without seeing his phone? And I thought he would, um, you know, misinterpret the meaning of the text message because he's really wrapped in his head about what it might mean. That's part of his character. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully how you like the character, because I find it related. I read into, you know, are they mad at me? They put a period, you know, and um, (laughs) whatever it is. And so just kind of running with ideas like that. What if we're going to show technology to to set it modern day? And I thought it was a good note. What can we do to still keep it like about the person and not about the technology scene stealing? I I love that scene. I love that scene with the the, what's your address. If I get a text that says what's your address from anyone, no matter who it is, a thousand times my mind is racing. What do they want my address for? Could be very good, could be very bad. (laughs) Exactly. So I I do try to be very intentional with technology in movies. And and if I am able to have free reign, I will try to keep it out of time. Um, But if, if you see something I've made, there's a lot of screens in it. There's, there's conversations happening behind the scenes. <laughs> I would say in uh, 2023, if there's not a cell phone in a movie, sometimes I'm led to believe that they're filming on it. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> we need the uh, cell phone for the, the HD camera. <laughs> can't put it in the scene. I mean, it is, the technology is so, and, and I mean, so at, if there was a time uh, where they were making some horror shorts for Snapchat and they were branded as part of the VHS um, franchise, uh, but they were for Snapchat shorts. They called them video horror shorts. <laughs> and um, when I got hired onto the, to make one of those, I told them, I don't, I don't know Snapchat. Like, I don't, I don't know. I really don't know how to use this <laughs> platform. Or do you want to hire somebody else? They fired me. You still got the job. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I am so, I'm just so against it. Um, I mean, not against Snapchat, sorry, but against the, you know, showing screens and stuff. And they were very, um, they were actually very generous with letting me film it, not like a, a typical VHS 
segment because I just didn't think found footage was my, my forte or, or really worked with what I was trying to do for my uh, narratively. And so, so they did approve what we, what we ended up doing, but it's not, it, I wouldn't say it. I mean, I really like the VHS movies. So definitely a lot of respect for the teams that make those um, films. And it is technically the same property <laughs> what it was for Snapchat, a platform I don't know how to use. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's inspiring. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but they, uh, but you know, you were thinking about how do you crop this vertically? We shot it four by three. So we had a slightly wider version that could be cropped nine by 16 for the Snapchat format. So there are some interesting things to be thinking about with the technology that is always changing. But another kind of funny story about VHS is that VHS 94 was filmed before and simultaneous to start about the demon in the same hotel. No <laughs> um, way. Wow. 94. That's the one where there's like the reporter. Um, I forgot what the segment yep. is called. She goes into the storm drain. That yep. where the storm drain was built is in the same atrium where we built all of our sets. And wow. then it was, and then they came back to shoot their wraparound. So they were on the other half of the hotel. We weren't supposed to mingle because of COVID, but they were there at the same time still filming that. Wow. And then I feel like the whole other VHS movie came out for our movie. <laughs> Got done. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> it did. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's become quite a property there. I, it's hard to keep track at this point. But they're very cool. A lot of really interesting horror visions. And, and they get to combine to make these very different types of movies. And it's always exciting when another one of those comes out. Well, Emily, yeah. thank you so much for hanging yes. out with us today. Really, really appreciate it. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the the observations you've made on Sorry with the Demon and and the other films. It really means a lot when people connect with the material. So thank you for watching. Check out Sorry About the Demon on Shutter. And most of Emily's catalog is available for streaming on different platforms from Shutter to Netflix to Tubi. So check out some of Emily's films. I, I have a Christmas horror film I'm trying to get going. And it's a little more horror than Sorry About the Demon. 